might be a Viking or a Saxon or a Roman, but tell me, do you like them? Would you sex them? Would you bone them? Would you go to bed with King Ethelred? Would you bunk William the Conqueror up in the sheets with Samuel Pepys? Mussolini was a meanie, led a fascist insurrection, but does he make you creamy? Does he give you an erection? Would you pork Richard the Duke of York? Does a boner start when you think of Bonaparte? Are you sexually aroused at the thought of Pol Pot? Historical hot or not? Hello and welcome to Historical Hot or Not, the podcast that is to history what doggers are to a parked Vauxhall Corsa. My name is Aidan, I am not a historian, and this is... Catherine, and I am also not a historian, but we are comedians who are holy for history. And today we're joined by our wonderful guest, Marcus Bergman. How are you doing? Good, thank you. Very well. It's a bit warm. It's quite sweaty here. It is. It's odd for a September, isn't it? Um... But also, this is my last week off work before I have to go back to the grindstone, so I'm delighted that it's nice. Yeah, yeah, no, it wasn't a complaint. It's not, I'd like it sunny, but it's just, I am a bit hot, yeah. What's your temperature situation, Eden? <laughs> uh, absolutely sweltering. Um, my mum's, uh, for the record, I'm recording in my mum's residential flat because we're having an electrician in our house today, and it's always been notably hot, but because I've vacuum sealed the room, for sonic perfection. Uh, I'm basically just slowly cooking away. Can we see how red you get over the uh, next, whatever it is, 45 minutes? <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah. It's going to, uh, basically by the end of this, I'm going to look like I've eaten something that I wasn't supposed to in Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. That's the aim that I'm <laughs> going for. Marcus Bergman, you are, if I'm uh, not mistaken, you've made a career over the past two decades as a club comic. And very recently, you've started to go into TV a bit. And people may know you from your appearance recently on Britain's Got Talent. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, I hope they don't know me from that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's not necessarily where I wish to be judged. Mm-hmm. But yet you do get judged on that show. Quite literally, you do, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, and all, it's really good exposure, obviously. And, um, you know, as we were discussing before, Catherine, about being in Edinburgh and clamoring to get thumbs on seats and all that sort of stuff all of that's all of that's very helpful um in theory then i think you also have to be careful about who you're attracting to your gigs and whether you want people who watch prime time tv who you know no i'm sure i'm sure most of them are lovely but i mean like just the comment section on me talking about my own strokes which you would think would be you know, I mean, I know we're in an era where people get quite offended about what you can and can't say, but you think I'm on fairly self-safe territory talking about my own strokes. And, wow, no. And also, <laughs> that material, it's not like you're being an edgelord, is it? It's not wildly offensive. It's, uh, it is literally about your, <laughs> your uh, what do they call it, incident? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. I mean, that's exactly that. I mean, I, I think the thing is, though, Catherine, so our notion of an edge lord is someone, you know, your yardstick. You probably you're, you're hanging around with comics and <laughs> yeah, true musicians <laughs> and etc. 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 So your your level of what is a normal person, normal <laughs> sensibilities, is so left centre already. Um, and I think to judge the mood of Middle England which I think probably the demographic for something like BGT is, you, you, you realise when you're in that arena just how miles away you are from it. 
Um, and so I'm not an edgelord to you, but to to furious of Tunbridge Wells. <laughs> I'm just Jeffries. You sound like you might not want the audience that that would bring in. So what was the point of doing it at all? Or is it just that you figured you could potentially dip your toe into that scene maybe? So a couple of things. Post-pandemic, um, when a lot of things are up in the air and what's the future and where do you go with comedy and things happening online, etc. Um, and club comedy not being the kind of central focus. I was kind of like, well, maybe try something new. Try just, just say yes rather than no. And I've been asked, like, lots of comments. I don't know if you've been asked, Catherine, but, like, uh, yeah. kind of perpetually been asked over the last 10, 15 years to do it. And they've historically gone, I mean, just no. Uh, it's not. It's just not what I want to do. Um, but, and then also I had a stroke during lockdown. And I think post, so post-pandemic sort of world and then post-stroke where... I was more, and I'd written a show about that, which is what I'm talking at the moment. And I really like the response to me talking about it was was so um, personally rewarding and uplifting for me. And I had such a good experience of doing it, and I just wanted more people to see it. Really, I'd been quite up until that point, kind of very happy being a club comic, making money. You know, I made a living. Didn't really have to kind of deal with people in the industry who I didn't really get on with or didn't couldn't or not even or couldn't even get hold of you know like I was just like I don't have to deal with any of those I'm just I can do club gigs I can deal with my audience and it's just it's fine I'm in control of that um but I wanted a wider audience and so that's why I was keen to do something like Britain's Got Talent which which of course is you know gives you an enormous platform um and to that end you know I'm very um, pleased that I did, and I'm very grateful for their opportunity. You know, and that's, a, that's you know, cynicism aside, that's a genuine thing. I just wish it had been a little less controlled and naff. So it wasn't like you had the stroke, and then when you came to realised in that t- period of time you'd somehow signed yourself up for Britain's Got Talent. Uh, it was a decision <laughs> that you made. <laughs> yeah, one of the symptoms of stroke is that, is that you have to go and do Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> yeah, Can you imagine yeah. how shit an episode that would be if anyone who had had a stroke had to do it? Like, <laughs> no, no performance background, just 84-year-old Dorothy, can't stand up now. <laughs> when you want to see 84-year-old Dorothy murdering a Smith song. <laughs> Whilst juggling. <laughs> Whilst juggling. Big shot out of a cannon. <laughs> is she juggling or is she just throwing that ball in the air and dropping it? I'd actually watch start watching Britain's Got Talent if it was if it was that. I'd be wrong. <laughs> Have you had a stroke then? Why don't you apply to go on Britain's Got Talent? Bring your dog, you might win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With that though, so the thing uh, so I, I had been asked to go on it and it just didn't exactly appeal. I don't think I'm quite anxious and I'm not very confident. So I don't think that I would I could go out onto that stage and be anything other than I'm so sorry I'm here. But yeah. one of the things that I, I sort of felt a bit worried by was like the editing of it. We we sort of concerned if it went badly, like the negative impacts of that or were you quite confident that that would be fine no i was really unconfident about that um and i think 
I mean, a any any time you record any TV, and not like I've done lots, but I've done a bit, you're at the mercy of the editor, who invariably gets it wrong. I mm -hmm. mean, I'm, I'm stunned by the editing on comedy shows, live comedy shows, how it's how it's done, how it's recorded, how it's edited in the edit room, how it's stopped mid-joke for someone to go could, you go, could you repeat that in front of a live audience? You know, some of the things I've like I've been introduced on like by an MC and then kind of the, the director go, oh, oh, sorry, can we stop that? Just need to refilm that. So you're, you trundle off like a crap, you know. Or, um, yeah. So to criticise Britain's Got Talent for their editing would be, would be grossly unfair. I've seen it yeah. all the time. <laughs> With my own material or other people's material, who are, who are, whose material I know, and then they've mm -hmm. gone cut out the best bit of that joke, or or that joke doesn't make any sense because yeah. the joke, you know, impinges on the fact that I've I've got a black cat, and you've edited out the fact that I've got a black cat, you know, because for for oh, it needs to be thirty seconds that joke. Yeah, yeah but it also it also needs to have the black <laughs> cat in the setup. It's just it's unbelievable. So so. Yeah, I mean, that would be, I was very concerned. And also, I was very concerned because I was specific about, I want to talk about my stroke, and I'm mm -hmm. going to talk about my stroke, and yeah. I do not want to be made a chump of talking about my stroke. If I was yeah. talking about biscuits or, or you know, whatever, I, I mind less if it gets edited or if I'm slightly used for cannon fodder. Um, mm -hmm. Which historically a lot of comics kind of have, um, yeah. and I said, if you're going to do that, I'm I'm not interested. And they promised not to. I still did. I, I don't know. It strikes me you've come out of quite well, and that you kind of have to not on your own terms. I've seen comics on there just doing the most lame puns, and I'm not against puns, but oh, I am. And I was really <laughs> struck by, oh, you're not doing that. You, you just walked on and you just walked on and started joking about shooting your own children, and I was like, wow. He's going for it, and they're liking it. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the general. I got so much flat for that, though. I mean, I mean the, <laughs> kind of, the comments said, "How dare he shoot kids? Come on, do you think that's really what? Am I advocating shooting kids? <laughs> really, you know?" And they're probably the same people who are like, "The walks are ruining comedy. <laughs> Why can't you call them that anymore?" <laughs> Each episode, we will pitch a uh, historical figure uh, to the other presenter and indeed guest. Uh, we will begin with a superficial assessment of uh, their looks. Uh, then we will go into Who some information <laughs> about, their, uh, about their life and times. At the end, uh, we will decide whether we would fuck them or not. If we would, they go on the be or tap that history. Uh, if not, we will ghost them. Uh, so, Aidan, uh, you have got the eTrosed profile picture. That's the fictitious dating app that we uh, get our information from. Who are we looking at today? I've just sent you both a photo on eTrosed. This is Wu. She is 81, and she is from what is now known as Tai Yuan in China. I'll be honest with you, I barely knew it were a lady, because it is a worn-out uh, carving in... Well, it, I mean, it looks like it could probably be a church or, well, not a church, a, a religious site or a cave or just a fucking wall. <laughs> he or she has only got one hand, which which um may or may not 
prove problematic. Uh, we're not going to be ableist here, are we? <laughs> no, that's not a place of being ableist. I think it's just, uh, and I'm, and I'm, not, I'm not bragging to say I'm a two-hand, I'm a two-hand god. Two hands or nothing. Get out, love. According to ChinaDaily.com, this is a, a Maitreya statue in the Hujian Cave, the Longmen Grottoes, and this particular statue is believed to have been modelled after the image of Wu Zetian, who is today's subject. Awesome. If you want um, a more traditional image on which to go off, I've just sent you a new thing. Part of the reason I sent the statue is it's actually incredibly difficult to... Uh, find contemporary portraits or illustrations of Wu Zetian, who's from the 7th century. This image I've sent is a 19th century, no, an 18th century rendering of her. I guess you can't see how many arms she's got, Marcus, so it might be difficult for you to make a decision. I don't know. Can you imagine trying to draw a picture of someone like, yeah, they, they lived about <laughs> a thousand years before you were yeah. born. <laughs> Being one of those police sketch artists who's like, can you describe them to me? Well, I could, but they have been dead for 1100 years, so that might be quite <laughs> difficult. Don't worry, we've got the shit carving in a cave of them. <laughs> the thing is, if someone's long dead, I reckon you can, that either means that you don't have to flatter them so that she is way uglier than that in real life. <laughs> it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because a lot of historic pictures have literally flattered the Queen, you know? Um, yes. She's not a classic beauty, in my opinion. No. She looks cheesed off as well. She looks high maintenance. Well. You might be onto something there, and we'll get into that now. It looks like they were painting a version of her when she was old. I would imagine that she was beautiful when she was younger because she was a concubine. She was taken in as a concubine in, in the court of emperors. So I suspect she probably was fit, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, but they don't have, like, Instagram filters and makeup in the same way and stuff, do they, <laughs> then? So I think that the standard of uh, beauty must have been a lot lower if you didn't have toothbrushes and stuff. <laughs> That's true. She'd have had rough teeth, I reckon. Yeah, but no, but they did have Instagram filters. In the 7th century, the Instagram filter was the sword being gently pressed against the neck of the painter, just going, you better take those jowls off, buddy. <laughs> Well, that's, that's kind of my point. Yeah, exactly. You flatter the queen here. How, how old was she when she died, do you know? 81. So I'm guessing this is probably from the last 20 years of her life. Think of her as, what, how old do I have to think of her? 81. Or... <laughs> you can interpret it however you want. Would you bend this old lady? <laughs> not eight. I don't mean like, could she be eight? That's not what I mean. I don't know that I want to bang any 81-year-old lady until I'm a little bit, maybe when I'm that eight. You know, almost that age. Mm -hmm. No disrespect to any one-year-old ladies. No, we don't have many of them listening. I don't. Don't worry. I'd say you can just pick a, a moment in her life to, to bang her once you once you've heard her life story. We'll get into it. I'm choosing the concubine years. <laughs> yeah, that, that's the popular choice. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, Wu Zetian was born in 690 to a wealthy family. She showed ambition from a young age, reportedly telling her mother, "How do you know that it is not my fortune to meet the son of heaven?" The son of heaven being the ruler of China. Marcus, are your children cocky? Yeah, and my daughter's 18. Well, she's sort of a mixture, myself, and probably like many kind of creative people, of being extremely full of self-doubt and thinking she's just like an idiot and cocky as fuck. <laughs> um, and I think that's probably a trait for anyone who's probably relatively creative at a stand-up. I reckon. I, I mean, I've said this to my daughter. I said, I, I reckon you could make it, you, you could be a stand-up. Uh, firstly, you've got no qualifications. <laughs> um, you drink too much and you are 
you have a really sharp tongue. I think I'd rather my child was cocky than not. Because I think as I got mm. older, I realised that people that just have that force of confidence tend to do well, regardless of whatever qualifications they have. They do They do well, but people hate them. People hate them, though. I, mean, mm. that's, I, mean, I agree with you. That, that tra- I mean, if I, and if I look back historically of the people, you know, of my contemporaries or whatever who have done really well in comedy, the, the ones who are completely full of their own self-belief have done really well, be, uh, you know, beyond people who are just really, really brilliant at it. So that trait, I think, putting yourself, uh, I mean, look at our current politicians, et cetera, et cetera, unqualified except for the fact that they are putting themselves forward for the job. So cockiness, yeah, but people hate it. Yeah. When it, what I, my go-to, what I do is whenever I'm worried about myself or filled with self-doubt, there is um, a comedian who I, I won't name the name on the podcast, but uh, I just think, how would he approach this? And then just go for it. <laughs> would he be worried that he's unqualified for this middle spot? <laughs> Probably not, no. Fuck it, yeah, I'm going for it. You're allowed to say who it is, Kath. I'll definitely cut it out. <laughs> I don't trust that you will. Zetian's father held a succession of senior ministerial posts and the family were well off. According to Wikipedia, at age 14, she was taken to be an imperial concubine of Emperor Taizong of Tang. It was there that she became a type of secretary. According to Patricia Buckley Ebry in her book, Women and the Family in Chinese History, and also Brett Hench's Passion of a Cut Sleeve, in pre-modern China, it was illegal and socially disreputable for a man to have more than one wife at a time, but it was acceptable to have concubines. This is what I love about men. When it comes to monogamy, we will find a workaround. It doesn't matter what society says. You know, oh, we can't have more than one wife. What if we had a bench? Yeah, we'll allow that. You can have a bench. What actually is a concubine? Is that is that like a, an affair? Is it a prostitute? Is it like a kind of? Is it a bit like a geisha? Because they've got her doing admin work, right? Can you imagine that? Yeah, that's what I signed up for. Yeah, there's a shagging. Here we go. So I've got the um, dictionary <laughs> definition: a woman who lives with a man but has lower status than his wife or wives. That's historical, archaic, a mistress. Okay, the word is derived from the Latin con which means with, and cuber, which is to lie. So, yeah. In the context of Zetian, it's a little bit of banging, a little bit of diary management. So, <laughs> Put your knickers back on. Take a letter. <laughs> here's some sexy lingerie and here's a file of facts. Off you go. Can you imagine sending your kid off at 14? Just go and shag that wealthy guy, will you? <laughs> How long for? Oh, I don't know, indefinitely. He might ask you to do some admin. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> As always, fault lies with the parents, I think, being uh, in this situation. Every time. <laughs> yes. Wu gained Emperor Taizong's favour with this story, which she recounted herself. Emperor Taizong had a horse, which was so large and strong that no one could get on its back. I suggested to him, I only need three things to subordinate it. An iron whip, an iron hammer and a sharp dagger. I will whip it with the iron whip. If it does not submit, I will hammer its head with the iron hammer. If it does not submit, I will cut its throat with the dagger. Emperor Taizong praised my bravery. Marcus, are you married? And what animal did you threaten to pummel to death <laughs> to win your wife's favour? There's a, there's a lot of red flags there for me, if I'm honest. For both Taizong and for Wu. <laughs> you know, if you're on a first date with someone... And... <laughs> 
that they they recanted that anecdote of how they wished to control their lovers. I think I, I think I might fail. Although I like, I mean, a, a younger me would have probably been up for that. But <laughs> I, I, honestly, like quite like a crazy woman. But but um, uh, as I've got older and less inclined to do that sort of thing, would a horse understand you holding a dagger to its throat, <laughs> saying, "If you don't let me get on your back, I'll kill you"? How would you keep the horse still? Would the whole it'd be on its knees if you'd slammed a hammer into its head? You kind of don't even need the dagger at that point because you've killed it. Then the horse isn't worth anything because you, the horse is dead. There are so many holes in this plan. Quite useful in this situation and in all situations to have like a sort of toffee hammer that showed your disapproval <laughs> of a certain person's behaviour, but didn't actually kill them. You know, and then you could sort of go, I could just slightly tap you on the knee, Catherine, if you were starting to mm-hmm. say something that I disapproved of or whatever, as opposed to a blunt force drama to the <laughs> forehead with a with claw hammer. My wife is Australian, so on our first day, I saw a, a blue whale in the distance, uh, <laughs> and I, I said, all I need is an iron hammer and a full scuba diving apparatus, and uh, I showed that whale who was boss. Yeah. <laughs> According to the new book of Tang, volume 76, Emperor Taizong gave Wu the art name Wu Mei, meaning glamorous. Wu had several contemporary and posthumous titles, including Lady Wu, Talented Lady, Imperial Concubine Joy, Heavenly Empress, Empress Dowager Wu, Holy Emperor, Holy Golden Emperor, Holy Golden Goddess Emperor, etc, etc. A lot of these feel like variations of each other, kind of like... Assistant to the regional manager. Same thing. Lindy Woo just makes me think of someone hanging out of the sunroof of like one of those stretched hummers <laughs> yeah, wearing yeah. a sash that says, I don't know, like bridesmaid on it. Gash on the lash. Yeah. Lady Woo! <laughs> yeah, and I'm in for it. I, I'm, I'm with her. I'm in that hummer. Kath has insisted on being called various similar names over the course of her career, and I've made a little list of them here. Uh, the Holy Golden Filth Merchant, <laughs> oh, uh, no. the, the Empress Dowager <laughs> of Minge Related Mirth, I wouldn't be here. the Talentless <laughs> Lady, hey. That's right. Empress of Cock Jokes, Heavenly Merchant of Bawdiness, mm-hmm. uh, Holy Whoremouth Cath of the Mather Dynasty, and uh, at Cath Math Comedy, but that is just her social media handle. Follow her for live show <laughs> updates. Marcus, do you have any nicknames? I assume Birdman must lend itself to all sorts of nicknames. Birdman of Alcatraz. Uh, Birdman or the unexpected virtue of ignorance, etc., etc. I don't really birdie a bit, but then kind of uh, Andrew Bird's birdie. So I don't really get called that in kind of comedy circles. When I was growing up, I was my mum called me Wolfgang because I whistled a lot. Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart because I was always whistling. That. I mean, that, that shows my middle class credentials, isn't it? That's what my mother. <laughs> I, uh, I don't have any nicknames either. Aiden doesn't really lend itself to stuff. And the only obvious thing it lends itself to is an acronym epidemic that killed thousands of gay men in the 80s. So, yeah, people just call me, yeah. just call me Aiden. My, my brother's called Aiden. And, um, and we call each other, now you mention it, Dink. And I don't know why, to be honest with you. Um, I, I don't know that it relates to anything specifically. I think it might have come from like a Daffy Duck cartoon or something but we call each other dink but yeah so he's um but he is actually called Aiden yeah oh well I, I'm a big fan of nicknames where the uh convoluted chain of events that has led to the current incarnation of the nickname it's like like if someone called me Mick and someone's like why do they call you Mick your name's Aiden and I'm like 
Duh, Mick, epidemic, AIDS epidemic, AIDS Aiden. Come on, man. The the chain's obvious. Taizong and Wu did not have children, so by tradition, after his death, Wu was confined to a monastery to live the rest of her life as a Buddhist nun, but she didn't want to, so left the convent <laughs> to live her own life. Girl power. <laughs> I love that. We're done with you now. Yeah. Go, <laughs> go into the non-shagging zone. <laughs> it sounds rubbish when it comes to bike. Yeah. So how old will she have been then? A dusty old hag at 28. <laughs> she might be really, really up for it then, but when by the time I've encountered her, um, because <laughs> having, having, been, having been sort of celibate for the last 20 years. According to Wikipedia, after she returned from the monastery, Wu married Taizong's successor, Emperor Gaozong, who she had already had an affair with while Taizong was still alive. By 650, she had the title of Zhuai. I really wish I'd uh, written phonetically down how to pronounce that, so I'm just going to assume that's right. The highest ranking of the nine concubines in the second rank. Now, Kath and Marcus, this concubine system is insane. It's like football leagues. There's the Empress, <laughs> then there's four in the next group, so they're like the Champions League qualifiers. Then there's nine in the next, which is essentially the rest of the Premier League. Then there's three more groups of eight. That's like the Champions League. Then there's three groups of 27 below that. They're the lower leagues. Presumably each of these uh, subdivisions of concubine has a relegation zone, complex sponsor systems. <laughs> you can imagine there'll be like the Imperial Concubine sponsored by Santander. I imagine they do transfers with international harems, have to miss banquets if they fail drug tests. It's very complicated. Wow, that's insane. How would we have time to fuck that many people? How would you know that many <laughs> names? How would you make the decision? Would you have to make the decision? Would you have a guy for that? I guess he'd have a guy for that. How do yeah, you house I... all of these people? Well, the housing costs would be insane. Just imagine keeping them heated in, <laughs> in, in a cost of living crisis. It's, it's, it's insane. I suspect it's like how I have a massive Blu-ray collection, but I've got way too much to reasonably watch them all frequently. But I like having them there as an option. I imagine for mm -hmm. the Emperor, that's how he feels. It's like... There's no way I can fuck these 140 concubines, but I just like having them there. So when it comes to it, I've got options. Do I take an old one? Do I take a young one? Do I take a light-skinned one? Do I take a, a dark-skinned one? Do I take one with one hand? Do I take one with two hands? You've got options, and I've got to respect that. Unlike the DVD, is that you probably don't mind if I come around and borrow your uh, Goodfellas. Uh, <laughs> 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 Fucking word, that's my favourite film. Well, I'm there, pick a few that I'd take for the weekend, so, which I think I suspect the, that's where the analogy falls down. Because I doubt I'm allowed, I'm allowed to borrow your concubines for the week, even if you're never going to. Do you reckon there's one in the lower leagues and she's just there being like, I just need the exposure. Just give me one chance. Yeah. I, can hide, yeah. I can climb the ranks. Just... I'm really good. And then really he turns good. up and you're on the rag and you're like, no! <laughs> Damn it! I assume, uh, going back to the DVD analogy, my friend Steve doesn't lend out his DVDs. So if you ask to borrow one, he'll go, no, I'm not lending you it, but come to my house and, and we can watch it together. Maybe it's like that. If someone says, can I have a go on that fourth subdivision concubine? It's like, I don't want to lend it out because I'm not sure if I'll get it back, but just come round and we'll both bang it together. Wu Zetian quickly earned the title of Hoang Hao, Empress Consort, the highest rank and position of a woman held in the empire and gradually gained immeasurable influence and unprecedented authority of the empire's governance through Gaozong's reign, presumably like when Leicester City came out of nowhere to win the FA Cup 2021 final. Wu took power by organising a gender parity council 
and eventually convinced the emperor into a power-sharing agreement. Keen to gain democratic support for her ascension, the council spent 18 months convincing existing ministers and senators of the need for a female power base and took her position as empress after a bloodless ascent to power based on Buddhist influence debate and the power of persuasion. What do you make of that, Kath? So she was a little bit of a feminist. She used reason and power to convince people to give her power in a male-dominated world. To come from a sort of in-the-bin kind of concubine to being that powerful, she must have had something about her. Self-belief, that, isn't it? That's what yeah. cockiness gets you. <laughs> yeah. Your daughter's going to be all right, Marcus. She's cocky, <laughs> she's going to go far. I think she could make a very good concubine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> 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 you should hear the things we've said about my sister on this podcast. That's a good diss, actually, for you. Your daughter would make a really good <laughs> you could That could just mean, hey, your daughter would make an excellent administrator in a 7th yeah, century yeah, yeah. Chinese court. Mm, I think she could enact real change. Yeah. <laughs> Organising a gender parity council as a way of getting to power would be a wonderful way of getting power in the 7th century. However, I made all that up. It's bollocks. She didn't do it the good way, she did it the bad way. Wu imprisoned or slaughtered anyone who stood in her way, including her sister, her niece, the crown prince, her son's wife, her grandson, a granddaughter, and a granddaughter-in-law, and countless other poor sods who dared to challenge her power base directly or indirectly within the court and a bloody Machiavellian consolidation of power that would make Stalin proud. That's how she really did it. Sorry, I lied. She took the horse thing and really ran with it. <laughs> she took the horse in and rode that brain damaged horse all the way to power. <laughs> Historians believe she killed her sister for bagging her husband and her niece for catching the eye of her husband. What? Yeah, no. She had her son's wife executed after they were accused of witchcraft. Fair. According to Anne Paladin, the chronicle of the Chinese emperors, in reaction to an attempt to remove her from power in 684, she massacred 12 entire collateral branches of the imperial family. <laughs> it's just like. Fucking mental how many people she killed. And this is just the cliff notes, you know. Wow. So when I said she was high maintenance, she did her own maintenance, essentially, though. But it was pretty, <laughs> yeah. Let's just say she did her own admin in her own inimitable way. More red flags. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. She forced several members of... Um, uh, Wu Zetian forced several members of Emperor Gaozong's extended family to commit suicide, which I think raises an interesting question. Is it suicide if it's forced? No. Are you volunteering at the charity shop if your parents made you volunteer at the charity shop? Mm. It's not really stated in in the research that I did how what the method of suicide was, and I think that makes a big difference uh, to to her level of uh, brutality. Marcus, if Rishi Sunak ordered you to commit suicide, what method would you choose? I think I might I might go into one of his schools that he didn't repair five years ago when he was the Chancellor of the Exchequer mm-hmm. and, uh, and just um, let it collapse on you you've just set off the satire siren that's the thing the listeners can hear in the background I'll shut that <laughs> off now I like the romanticism of just walking into a raging sea like Patrick Swayze at the end of Point Break um, but truth is I'd probably yeah. just jump out of the plane because I kind of feel yeah. a, an adrenaline if you can get a lot of adrenaline going in your suicide, that's the way to go. Just jump out, have an amazing last three minutes of life. Boom. Not a, lot, on the floor. not a lot of um, aeroplanes in 6th century China, though. Mm. <laughs> true. That's true. 
But there's probably a lot yeah, of cliffs. Have... I've been to the, I've been to the south of China. They have a lot of like very steep drops. Just chuck yourself. Yeah, off. No, that's true. You probably yeah. yourself off a cliff. Yeah. According to Paladin, Wu widened recruitment to government service to include previously excluded gentry and commoners, and her generous promotions and pay rises for the lower. So she's good for poor people. Uh, if Keir Starmer got into power and did loads to improve social mobility for poor northerners, but you knew he'd murdered all of his first and second cousins and his son's girlfriends to win power, would you still vote for him? Yeah, fuck it. Well, if his cousins, uh, if they were all kind of part of the higher, the one percenters of the empire and the kind of um, the emperor's family that she'd offed, then I think I'd be kind of like, yeah, he's basically, Keir Starmer's offed half of the House of Lords. And so I'd <laughs> Vote for him for that alone, mm. without, even without the reform. So um, <laughs> that sounds like what she's done. Increased social mobility be- benefits, that's just a bonus to you. Yeah. She sounds all right. I'm, I'm warming to her. <laughs> After Gaozong died, Wu retained all the real authority as Empress Dowager and Regent. According to Paladin, she was the Empress Dowager, but she was the one choosing who the Emperors were, and they were always her sons. But she switched between sons. Sometimes it was Emperor Zhao Zhong, sometimes it was Emperor Rui Zong. But basically, her say of who was in power were the ones that went. These lads were only rulers in appearance, with officials having to report to the Empress directly. It's weird that, isn't it, how the only people qualified for the job just happened to be her sons? The talent pool must be quite small, because China ain't that big. Mm. Yeah, and she would displace her own sons with her other sons once the original son had lost favour. It was often when their girlfriend or partner or wife would sort of try and inherit their own Wu Zetian style power base. That was a threat. Boom, the route. Next one in. Fortunately, mm-hmm. she had a lot of sons, so it was fine. In 690, she had Ruizong yield the throne to her and established the Zhu dynasty. So it's at this point she's actually ruling as proper emperor, which she did until 705. She was regarded as ruthless. I don't have to talk about that. We know she's fucking ruthless. Uh, she was rumoured to have killed her own children, Ooh. but this was later proven false. The rumours seem to have surfaced 400 years after her death, likely due to the belief in ancient China that a woman was unsuited to hold the power of emperor. But the cause of the death of the children is still in question. I think she's quite killing. So mm-hmm. while it is true that like powerful women often have their legacy tarnished by things that are written after their death, <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite willing to give this one the benefit of the doubt because no. uh, she likes to be a bit stabby. She'll fucking take a hammer to a horse and a granddaughter. I wouldn't be surprised if if she had done it. No smoke without brain-dead horses. That's, yeah. what, that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. So executions and false accusations became systematic as Wu installed copper mailboxes outside government buildings to encourage people to report on others. Do you reckon people confuse these with actual mailboxes? <laughs> Do you reckon her secret her secret police were opening envelopes and going, oh, for fuck's sake, another birthday card. It's red for post, copper for reporting your neighbour for sedition. How many times? Also, did you get anything? I wonder, I, I never understand the logic of the people who dob people in like that. Because, yeah, like, it's one thing, isn't it, if the neighbours are being noisy, but then I always try and up, up deal with that between us. But, like, I think if my neighbour could get beaten to death for being a bit noisy, I would definitely keep that between us. <laughs> it's a system that relies on literally everybody not being a cunt. Mm-hmm. And as, if we've learned anything from this life, there's always one cunt in the bowel. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you are. Always, always, that doesn't make any sense. There's always one cunty apple uh, on the apple tree. There's always a turd in the um, 
In a barrel of good turds, there's always one cunty turd. I think <laughs> that's what you're trying to say, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. In 690, Wu took the final step to become Empress Regent of the newly proclaimed Zhu Dynasty and took the title Huang Di. Here's a fun fact. According to the Zhizhi Tongzhan, her son Li Dan's life was saved from accusations of treason when one of her servants, An Jing Kan, cut open his own belly to swear to Li Dan's innocence. Now, I don't know that proof is innocence unless the proof of innocence was inside Jin Kan's stomach. <laughs> like a knot. <laughs> like a load of, <laughs> load of handkerchiefs with a knot at the end. <laughs> innocent! <laughs> Saying Lee Dan was innocent. Well, I thought, well, it depends what the treason was. Um, what if someone was accusing Lee Dan of eating the Empress's pizza, mm-hmm. but it was actually... But it was actually Anjun Kang. He could cut up his stomach to reveal the undigested pizza and say, no, no, look, this was yours. It's got pepperoni on. You're the only one in the court that likes pepperoni. Mm-hmm. On a barbecue base. That's not typical. <laughs> no one likes that except you, Empress. Therefore, Lee Dan's innocent. Mm-hmm. So, unfortunately, the historical text doesn't go into detail as to whether it was the pizza or it was just the <laughs> sheer act of cutting open his own belly. Probably um, that. Wu began relationships with two new lovers, the brothers Zhang Yizhi and Zhang Changzong, who became honoured within the palace and were eventually created dukes. In her dying days, the Zhang brothers were the only people permitted to see her, which led to speculation they were starting a coup. The brothers were killed, her generals surrounded her residence and forced her to yield the throne to Li Zhang. She was removed to a subsidiary palace and died later that year. Li Zhang is one of her sons. Uh, one of the ones she's already removed from power. But, I mean, at least they let her have another palace and her son's still in charge. That sounds like a win to me. Sort of. I think she loved being in power. She absolutely wasn't in power after this. No, no, of course. I suppose worse things have happened. They didn't chop her head off, yeah. I guess what you're saying. I feel sorry for the Zhang brothers, it just, but it just, it just shows you've got to be careful who you have a threesome with. One second, mm-hmm. you want to, you, you're trying to find a couple on Tinder you want to have a gangbang with. Next minute, you've like instigated the Cuban Missile Crisis mm-hmm. or the uh, deposition of a dying empress. You just never know. And you're getting killed for it. She do- sort of did certain things to reduce gender identification. Okay. Or like she changed words so they were grammatically indeterminate in terms of the gender. But it all, it, all the things she did with gender seemed to be just ways of ensuring her power. Mm. You know what I mean? So in a world of men, she's, ch- she's trying to make it indeterminate but only to allow her ascension. Yeah, so that was going to be my question. Was that for the advancement of the genders or was that uh, so that she could have more respect as a leader? Absolutely, so she could just continue to slaughter her way to power, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I'm not sure if she'd be a a trans ally, is what I'm saying. No, probably not. She doesn't like she's an ally to anyone other than herself. I actually read this in The Economist. This is what (laughs) gave me the idea of doing her as a subject. Why this was in The Economist, I don't know. (laughs) Some sources say that Wu Zetian supposedly kept youthful by drinking the semen of much younger lovers. (laughs) Of course, yes. If that's true, your your increasingly youthful appearance is effectively offset by the increased risk of stroke from the semen's high salt content. So what I'm saying is this might be bullshit. I think it's bullshit, to be honest. Well, do you know who would be a good test case for this, Kath? Your, your sister, Helen, because <laughs> Helen sucks so much cock. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
and she just looked quite youthful. So if, if you tell me that Helen's actually 45, then I'll be like, it works because she looks about 23. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll ask her and uh, next episode we'll, uh, we'll report back. God bless her. She likes, she, she likes the negative attention. Uh, that's why we do it. <laughs> <laughs> she got upset one time when we weren't mean about her on the podcast. <laughs> that, that's my defence when anyone listening to this accuses me of being a misogynist and a slut shame. I'll be like, mm-hmm. she fucking loves it. Mm-hmm. I've never met the girl, but according to Kath, she fucking loves it. <laughs> Historical hot or not. According to Pollard, unprecedented in China's history, she was subsequently founded and ruled as female emperor of the Wu Zhao dynasty of China from 690 to 705. According to Wikipedia, under her 40-year reign, China grew larger, becoming one of the great powers of the world. Its culture and economy were revitalized and corruption in the court was reduced. Would you, Marcus, based on everything you know about her, Wu Zetian, would you have sex with her? Would you allow her to go on the biotap tapestry? Or is she a no? Um, she's a pretty fun no, I reckon. <laughs> if she was better looking, then yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the murders are fine as long as she's fit. <laughs> if she had slightly bigger breasts, I might go for it. But if the, uh, she does, like... You know, I'm not going to lie, I, I, I can have my head turned by a beautiful woman, but I, she's, she does seem to be fairly toxic as a human being. Mm-hmm. So she'd have, I think, at my age, I've learned to uh, not tolerate that sort of behaviour over just someone who is very attractive. Mm-hmm. Well done, me. What, what a journey. <laughs> Such growth. <laughs> you finally become woke. Well done. Kath, <laughs> mm-hmm. would you bang Wu Zetian? Honestly, no. No, she seems um, like a, a bit of a loose unit, to be honest. <laughs> She's very killy. I don't know where I, I would stand with her. I think that I'd feel very on edge being around her all the time. And she doesn't seem to have a wild amount of redeeming features, to be honest. Well, there was the thing about the poor people. She's quite good for poor people. That was like the only real thing that I could find where it was like, oh, actually, maybe she was alright. Yeah, but she wasn't, was she, though? So I'm going to say no. Uh, what do you say? Well, I have four brothers, so I've got quite a lot of threesome combination possibilities mm-hmm. for her. Mm-hmm. But again, too killy. I think I'd, I'd, I'd steer clear. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, Wu Zetian, you were a powerful female leader, an absolute girl boss, but you have not made it onto the bio tap artistry. Marcus, before you go, is there anything you would like to promote to our listeners? Well, I'm currently on tour. I've done three dates uh, of uh, whatever it is, 22-day tour. Um, so you can, I'm, I'm probably coming to a town or city near you. Um, all the information is on marcusbirdman.com, Marcus with a K. So have a look at that and uh, hope to see you at a tour show. Excellent. Enjoy. Thanks for coming on, Marcus. We really appreciate you having you on. Thank you for having me. Good luck with the tour. Thank you. And uh, you're welcome back on whenever you want. Thank you very much. Thank you. Good to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. That's the end of the episode. Thanks for listening. We always post videos on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Share us to your stories. Uh, We always tweet about it. Retweet us. Tell your friends about the podcast. And uh, yeah, have have a good life, everyone. Spread the word. (laughs) Spread your legs. And remember, it's not what's on there outside it's what's on the inside of the coffin that counts see you later bye
You have been listening to Historical Hot or Not, written and created by Aidan McCaffrey and Catherine Mather. The podcast art was by our good friend Richard Todd, and our theme music by excellent musician and also good friend David Eagle. We also have music by Ergo Fismas, Lassa License from the Free Music Archive. If you've enjoyed us and you would like to donate to the cause, we would love you to do that also. You can find us at ko-fi.com forward slash hotnotpod and you can download bonus episodes of Historical Hot or Not from Acast Plus. The link is available on our link tree, linktree.com forward slash hotnotpod. Bye!